It is a little crowded up on stage, and I feel bad because Dale's drumming spot got taken away. <laughs> this morning we're looking at the ever-popular commandment, do not murder. So, Jesus has something to say about that that helps us further understand what God really meant by that particular commandment. And so, if you wanted to open up your own Bibles or your Bible app, we're going to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And let's pray before we really get started, and uh, you can use that time to flip through your Bible. Dear God, thank you so much for this day, this time in our lives when we can be coming to your word afresh, anew, thinking about what this means for our life in this time, in this place. So we pray for the people on our right, that they understand and get a deeper understanding of your word today. We pray for the people on our left that they get a further understanding of your word. And God, we pray for ourselves. We know that we need to grow closer to you. And the only way to do that is to dig closer into your scriptures and get to know you more. So let's do that. In your name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Concerning anger. You have heard that it was said in those ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you're liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry, oh, I already said that. You're liable to judgment, and if you insult your brother or sister, you will be liable to counsel. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to hell of fire. That's pretty drastic. So when you offer your gift at the altar, that's what they did back in the day. Before they went to church, they'd you know, have some chicken or goat or ox or whatever, depending on the partial of your sin. That was the larger of the animal. So you would leave those in the back room back there and um, do something with them. But there's children pregnant, present, you know, what would happen to them. And uh, he said, before you get to that altar, first, you need to be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then you can come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or her. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and then you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A parable for you. You're headed out of town for the weekend. And you ask your nephew, Stuart, to house it for you. Stuart's a good kid, and he's always loved your dog, and he's been looking for some extra money this summer. Seems like a good idea, right? Until you're coming home from vacation on Saturday night, and you turn onto the street where there are cars everywhere. Cars parked on your neighbor's lawn, cars parked too deep in front of your driveway, there are people in your driveway sitting on your lawn furniture, which has been rearranged in a circle out near the street, and people are also on the roof. In your house, there's a party, and Stuart's friends are at this party, and all of them came. As you walk up the driveway, you notice that someone has clearly been wrestling in your flower beds, and inside you notice that there is dirt everywhere on your white carpet. There's also people who wrestled on your couch, which also happens to be white. Your dog smells like beer, and everything from your refrigerator is on your counter because there's somebody in your refrigerator. Because they're trying to set the world's longest being in the refrigerator time. 
There are high school students gathered around a keg in the backyard, and two people are eating birthday cake with their hands in the front seat of your car, in the garage, and then you look up and you see that there are other people seating on the outside. Stuart's there, sitting at the head of your dining room table, which is now outside, next to a girl named Candy, with six television screens in front of him and thousands of dollars stacked in front of him watching the latest football game, betting. You realize that this is not the thing that you wanted to come home to. And so you walk into the, the living room once again, and somebody realizes who you are, and immediately you cu- they cut the music. You know, that screech thing that you hear in movies? They realize who you are, and Stuart notices that you're there and looks at you, and you say to him, Stuart, I couldn't help but notice that you didn't bring in the newspapers daily and put them on the counter like I asked you. What an appropriate response. You see, we know that rules are tricky, especially for teenagers. You could have found lots of people to watch your house, but you chose Stuart. You wanted to see your nephew flourish as he grows up and he matures. And will he see the consequences of his actions? Of course. And you're not a pushover. It's your house, and there's mud on your rug. There will be consequences. But Stuart will have to face those consequences by you, by the law, by his parents, and that list is long. But you choose wisely your words in response to Stuart. And you say, Stuart... You forgot to put the newspapers on the counter like I'd asked. You see, this narrative is driven by your response to Stuart and him becoming a candidate for reconciliation. A candidate for reconciliation between you two. In this story, you are God, and Stuart is humanity. And your relationship to Stuart is key. It speaks about the bond between you two. And when things go awry, as humanity does, things certainly can get out of hand. What is God's response to humanity? We know God's response to humanity. It's not about the mess that was made. It's about the reconciling of the relationship between God and and humanity. The mess can be cleaned up, due in its time. But God's going to need our help in fixing the messes. And so that's why the relationship is so much more important than cleaning up the mess first. And that's God's first concern. God's first concern is reconciling the relationship because the mess can be cleaned up in due time. And so it is with the Ten Commandments. They're not a list of rules. It's not even about God saying to us, hey, you forgot to put the newspapers on the counter. It's about the relationship that God and you have. It's about that relationship, not a list of rules and the rules that we've broken. And so we have this sermon series we're talking about during the summer of the Ten Commandments, and we've made the switch from the first three talking about loving God, and we're switching to... The latter, which talk about loving your neighbor. Some neighbors are a little bit more challenging to love than others. We all know that. But God has seven commandments that talk about that. 
You might think that when you read the sixth commandment, do not murder, you're off the hook. I mean, after all, I don't know about any of you, but I think most of you have not committed any murders. And if you did, I don't really want to know about it. So you think, I'm fine. Number six, that's easy. I do that every day. I didn't murder somebody. Woo. Got that out of the way. I'm doing really well on commandment number six. But you know it's not that easy. Commandment number six says do not murder, but it's really about something else. And the sixth commandment is our topic for the rest of the sermon today. It's really about reconciliation. The sixth commandment, do not murder, is really about reconciliation. And that's why in Matthew chapter 5, the chapter title says, Considering Anger. So in our scripture lesson today, we see the transforming power of reconciliation. Jesus says, reconciliation takes precedence, means has to happen first, before worship even. And Jesus imagines someone going all the way to the temple, getting to the gates, buying that sacrificial animal, and suddenly remembering, as one might do when they're entering a space of worship in front of the almighty power of God, realize that you have faults. And realize that you have anger against your brother or sister. Some relationship that has not yet been reconciled. And the scene is almost comic because you've traveled so far to get to church. Not the five minutes away that you guys do. But you've walked uphill both ways in the desert of Jerusalem and come to the temple. And so Jesus says, yeah, walk home three days and go say I'm sorry to your brother or sister and then walk back, and then worship me. You can imagine the anxiety of this particular worshiper who now has this animal that they've purchased, expensive animal, because it's probably an ox, and they have to leave it there for a week, unfed, unkept. Jesus is exaggerating to make his point, of course. And that day and today, no different. It's important to reconcile with our brothers and sisters. There are many ways in which we can get at this commandment without really murdering anyone or harming people. It's really about our anger and how we manage it. I wonder what words we've said that have sounded harsh, what actions others have done to make us so angry. What are our feelings against those people? What situations have we found ourselves to be in that are irreparable? And what are the relationships that are worth the repair? That's our challenge for you today. And have you ever gotten caught up in a cycle of anger? Oh, this is a doozy. The executive yells at their employee. Their employee then in turn, not knowing what to do with all of these feelings, yells at their secretary. Their secretary, not knowing what to do with all of their feelings, goes home and shouts at her husband. And her husband, not knowing what to do with all of his anger and anxiety, shouts at the kids. And the kids, certainly not knowing what to do with all of their anxiety, shout at the cat. There's a cycle of anger that can happen. And I know at some time in your life, you've been a part of that as well. There's a root in it. Maybe there's unfairness. And you have a childlike posture at some point and you say something like, but mommy, it's not fair. And that's where anger comes from too. As if all 
it's our job to right the wrongs of this world. It's not. It's not our job to right the wrongs of this world. And I'd like to bring us to another passage in the scriptures because it's so enlightening to have the Old Testament talk about the Ten Commandments. And then, of course, we've had Jesus in the Gospels unpack those Ten Commandments in an easy way. Love God, love your neighbor. But then Paul, who I like to say is the first commentator of the Bible, the first commentator of Jesus, he really takes it the next step. And so we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, and he talks about this anger. And brings it to the next level. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble. If it's possible, and it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Leave room for the wrath of God. You don't have to feel like you're doing it yourself. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. kind of like killing them with kindness. (laughs) Killing, right? Do not kill. It's different, huh? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I really like how Paul takes that to the next level because I feel like on a regular basis, I'm not murdering. Okay, check that off the list. And on a regular basis, I'm not even that angry. I'm a little frustrated with people, but we can work that out. I call people, I text people, I say I'm sorry on a regular occasion. But it's the next step that I really want to bring us to. Have you ever thought about praying for your enemy? Have you ever thought about putting yourself in your enemy's shoes? Have you ever thought about feeding your enemy? Giving them something to drink? This is deep stuff. Going the next place. Because it says if you're going to go out for revenge, you might as well dig two graves. So why not just bring your revenge subject dinner and talk about it? Jesus knows that this is how the world would be a better place. And that's why Jesus gives us this example. Upon reading these words, I thought of two particular examples. And I wanted to bring up the the video that we talked about where we saw where Reverend Baird was first holding the baby. And the music was a little muddled and the words were a little there, but Danny was telling me a little bit more of the story that there was the baby that he was holding was one of the triplets. And one of the triplets' mothers had just passed away during childbirth. And they had been waiting for 15 years in order to have these babies. And James gets to hold that baby. There was an enemy, an anger there. But James gets to go that next step and hold that baby. That's feeding your enemies dinner. Another step came to uh, my husband, Mike, and I actually a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you follow the UCLA message boards like he does. We've gotten pretty attached to this one particular story. On the board, um, there's managers. And they post, one of them posts all the time. His name is Brandon. And he posted some devastating news of his daughter on June 30th. So just a couple of weeks ago. His daughter, Avery, was diagnosed with DIPG, diffuse intrisonic. 
I can get, I, I've got to get a doctor in here. Diffuse intrasonic pontine galoma. Yeah? Okay. We'll talk about it. It's a, what is it? Glioma. Thank you. It's a brain tumor. It's a brain tumor. Thank you. That's why we have lots of people that go to church here. They're so much smarter than I am. But I hope that you're touched by this story just as much as I am. And it's found in the brainstem in her lower back. It's near her spinal cord. And all those words you know mean this is a rough road to hoe for this family. The doctors deemed this tumor incurable, fatal, evil. And within minutes of the post... Somebody decided to feed the enemy dinner. Give this enemy something to drink. And went over and above and reconciled. Within minutes, a GoFundMe account was created. It was set up by a family friend and it already had a decent-sized offering to support the Huffman family. The incurring costs of this sweet girl were piled high with medical expenses. It had a simple note on the GoFundMe account, everything and anything helps, and prayer is greatly and especially appreciated. And Mike and my interest was immediately piqued. We're notorious for following stories like this on television, or even following our friends who run triathlons, rehab, watching the 600-pound person. The story of Avery Huffman caught our hearts, too. Not just because it's a UCLA family member, but because it's the story of a lot of people struggling from cancer. I know everyone in this room knows somebody who has struggled from cancer. It's rough. So, some people prayed. Some people gave financially. And by the next morning, the donations had gotten to a couple of thousands, 10,000. And by evening, 24 hours later... It got into a hundred thousand just from strangers feeding and reconciling. Brandon posted on the message board that his friend had asked um, to and see the response from the GoFundMe account. And so he was just having a ca- casual conversation with Brandon. And Brandon um, was like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Like a couple people have donated a couple thousand dollars. It's a really great thing. And his friend, his jaw just dropped. He said, no, no, no. Have you seen the message board? Now this is 24 hours later. Have you seen the GoFundMe account? And Brandon said, apparently not. He said, it's over $200,000. And Brandon's jaw dropped. He had no idea that this reconciliation could go this far. Brandon was overcome with emotion. Overcome is exactly the feeling that we should feel overcome. We're overcome with the fact that Jesus has died on the cross and done the greatest reconciliation. We're overcome by the fact that evil is defeated in the world. We're overcome with joy. We're overcome with joy that evil is overtaken by good. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for these words. And something as simple as do not murder could go so far in this world. 
Thank you for coming on this, wor- this world and, and teaching us even more. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul that have brought us even further to understanding that there can be reconciliation in this world. There can be overtaking. There can be stories that we can be a part of. God, lead us as we exit this room that we know that we are part of the reconciliation of this world. And where might we be doing your work? Where might we be doing your work of reconciling, of feeding, of giving water to the thirsty? Where might we be? Lead us there, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.